0: Good boys and girls, two footed podcast Tuesday, December 7th, brought to you by epilindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, a virtual privacy network will allow you to go online, change your location, access things you geo blocked from. For example, a UK expat living in Italy, Spain, France, wherever it is you have your holiday home, you can. Change your location to the UK and access BBC iPlayer, Sky Go, ITV Hub, all four, whatever it is you want to get. A US expat living this side of the pond, perhaps, you can get Hulu, you can get Peacock, you can get HBO, whatever it is, you can get it using a Liberty Shield VPN, the number one rated VPN on Trustpilot. And with the code EPL599, you can get your first month. For one pound. EPL 599 gets you 599 off the first month, goes up to 699 after that, but there is no contract. You're not tied into anything. You get instant download from the website to your devices, and you can get watching, get using for one quid for the first month. And if you like it, you stick with it. No harm, no foul. Check out libertyshield.com and again use the code EPL 599. Also, We're brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you can find those tricky Christmas presents for your loved ones. EPL 10 to get 10% off on the EPL Index shop on Etsy. Red 10 will get you 10% off the Anfield Index shop. Also available on Etsy. Right, folks. Arsenal, Arsenal, Arsenal. What is it that you've done? Everton 2. Arsenal 1. Only Arsenal could lose to an Everton team. Playing as poorly as this one. Especially considering... Everton were missing lots of players and then also had to lose Yerimina through injury. Arsenal did go one up through a Martin Odegaard goal, but that was after Arsenal or Everton had had a goal disallowed. Richarlison, slightly offside. Slightly offside for the first one. Not by a whole lot, but he is slightly offside in the first one. The funniest part is Only one Arsenal player actually called for offside. And that player had no idea whether it was or wasn't. He threw his arm up purely out of instinct. He had no idea where Richarlison was. No idea what the rest of the defensive line looked like. Because he was charging out like a headless chicken. Odegaard made it 1-0 in the second minute of stoppage time at the end of the first half. Great cross by Kieran Tierney. Brilliant finish by Odegaard. A very, very good goal against the run of play, I felt. I did feel it had been quite an even game, but I thought Everton were the better team in that first half, even though Arsenal had most of the ball. Arsenal came out in the second half and decided that was it. They were, you know, we're great defensively, lads. We're going to sit back here now and we're going to invite you on, despite the fact that we've conceded, you know, 20 goals in 15 games. We're going to sit back now. We have no fear of you. And it was their undoing because Everton should have had an equaliser when Richarlison latched onto DeCourie's ball and finished past Ramsdale. He was flagged offside by VAR. And I'm sorry, the lines that VAR drew don't equate to the foot position of the two players at all. If he was offside, it was by... A sliver of his boot. And we were told that the rules were changing this season. We were told those would not be offside. That should have counted. That was a perfectly good goal. It should have been one all. Richarlison did finally get his goal. After having the two chalked off. Shot from distance hits the crossbar. Ramsdale does Ramsdale things flings himself across the goal, bounces back up, but can't react as Richarlison lobs him with a header from about 10 yards. Really well-taken goal. Richarlison was, to his credit, absolutely outstanding in this game. He really was tremendous, but he wasn't the only one. Damari Gray, who, as I've been saying, is the signing of the season. 1.7 million for a Guy who week in and week out turns up, puts in a shift, and is capable of moments of magic. He's been a bargain for them. And it got me thinking last night as to why he didn't work out at Leicester. And I'll come back to that. But Damari Gray wins the game for Everton in stoppage time, 92 minutes. Cuts in, Ben White backs off, doesn't get close enough. Gray takes one touch and unleashes an absolute thunderbolt, which clatters in off the post. It's a tremendous goal. It's a goal worthy of winning any football match. And it's a goal Everton deserved. Throughout the second half, Everton were the more aggressive, more front-footed team. They were the one trying to win the game. Whereas Arsenal just seemed to sit back and think, we've done our job here. Which was just a bizarre approach to take. And I've seen some people today suggest that it's not Arteta's fault. That that's on the players. That's the collective mentality of the players. So let's take a look at the 14 Arsenal players that played last night. Aaron Ramsdale. Arteta signed him. Tommy Asu, Arteta signed. Ben White, Arteta signed. Gabriel, Arteta signed. Kieran Tierney predates Arteta. But he's a really front-footed defender. Thomas Partey, Arteta signed. He had a stinker last night, it must be said. Granit Xhaka, somehow back in the team. He had a stinker last night. He predates Arteta. He goes all the way back to Wenger. And he might be one player you'd look at and say, yeah, he does draw you deeper. Bakayo Saka, he's played the majority of his career under Arteta. Odegaard, signed by Arteta. Martinelli, he's played the majority of his Arsenal career under Arteta. And Lacazette's a striker. The three that came on, Aubameyang's a striker. Nuno Tavares was signed by Arteta. And Eddie has played the majority of his career under the manager. So you've got 14 players, seven of whom he signed, three of whom have played the majority of their career under him. And then you've got Kieran Tierney, who's front-footed, two strikers, and Granit Xhaka. So unless you're telling me that Granit Xhaka has such an overwhelming influence on the team that he can force everybody to drop deep. The collective mentality is the one instilled by Mikel Arteta. It's nothing to do with anybody else. And this man is failing badly at managing Arsenal Football Club. Now, they do sit seventh in the table, but they've now lost three out of four. They got thumped by Liverpool. They've lost to bad Everton and bad Manchester United teams. I said when they were having their run, this isn't real. You watch them play, this isn't real. They scraped past Norwich with a fluke goal, scraped past Burnley with a worldly from Odegaard. They hammered Tottenham, but Tottenham could easily have gotten a draw. They drew with Brighton and Palace and should have lost both games, were outplayed in both games. They did beat Villa and were comfortable beating Villa. That was a Villa who were really bad at the time and would sack their manager, just as Tottenham were really bad and would sack their manager. They beat Leicester. That was a good result, but Leicester haven't been at the races this season. And Leicester could easily have gotten a draw. Ram still had to have the game of his life. They scraped past Watford. They got thumped by Liverpool. First good team they played, walloped them then they beat newcastle everybody beats newcastle they lost to a bad united team and a bad everton team this run hasn't been real they just had a very favourable schedule but at this point in the season to have played 15 games and only won 7 lost two uh, lost six that's really poor Negative four four goal differential. With the money that they've spent on this team. It just. It's not good enough. It's certainly not good enough for Arsenal. Like. Look at the league table. The top three of the top three. Forget them for a second. Do West Ham have better players. Than Arsenal. Because I don't think they do. I think Arsenal's team and squad. Is better than West Ham's. Tottenham are two points ahead of Arsenal with a game in hand and have been so poor at times this season that they sacked their manager. United are a point ahead and beat Arsenal and have been so poor that they sacked their manager. Wolves are two points behind under a new manager having started the season in talks about relegation. Villa are four points behind. They sacked the manager because they were so bad. Arsenal have had a favourable run that might keep Arteta in a job till the end of the season. But we've seen this before. We saw it with Oli. When these mediocre managers who are out of their depth need a run of results, they'll end up getting a run of results and it takes all the pressure. And we hear all about how it's, it's a new dawn. How they've finally got things on track. How you, know, you can really see their fingerprints on the team. And all this other tripe that means nothing. But it's always false dawns. Always. For Arsenal to progress and go anywhere, Mikel Arteta needs to go. He needs to go. And Edu needs to go, and they need a real director of football, and they need a real manager. And if I was advising Arsenal, I would ask, I would be telling them to go to Ajax, get Mark Overmars as the director of football. He's clearly open to a move. He held talks with Newcastle. He played for Arsenal. He would make that move and tell him to bring Eric Ten Hag with him. Overmars and Ten Hag would turn this club around. And you need to get Ten Hag before United cop on to the fact that that's who they should appoint and not Maurizio Pochettino, who they will appoint. Arsenal need to start thinking about what they want to be as a football club. The owners aren't popular anyway, but they could really sway public opinion by making the right moves, getting the right people involved in the club. Because from the top down, Arsenal have been really bad since Fenger left. Because he left such a massive power vacuum. It's very similar to what we've seen at United. An all-encompassing manager leaves. And people who really shouldn't be in certain positions get given certain jobs. And the club suffers. The power vacuum at Arsenal was just as big as the one at United. The difference is Arsenal have a chance, a really big chance, to make amends quickly. United still haven't sorted things out at their club. They're in year eight of this. For Arsenal, what is it, year four? Arsenal can get this turned around quite quickly. And there's the bones of a good squad there. Now, I'm not a Ramsdale fan. I'll never be a Ramsdale fan you've got him and you've got Leno. You can make it work in goal for the short term anyway. I really do like Tommy Asu. I love Kieran Tierney. Gabrielle, I think, is, is very, very good. I'm not a Ben White fan, but I can see value in Ben White in certain, certain games, in certain roles. I really like Saliba, who they can bring back off loan and put into the team. Maybe then Ben White steps into midfield. Maybe you play him as a holding midfielder. That might suit him better. I like Thomas Partey, but it hasn't really worked for us at Arsenal. Maybe you need to look to move on from that. But you've got Saka, you've got Smith-Rowe, you've got Odegaard, you've got Martinelli. These are players I can get on board with. They need a number nine. They need one in midfield. They don't need massive surgery. They need patience. The players, not the manager. The players need patience because young players will have bad runs, bad games, silly moments, whatever. But young players especially need to be set up the right way. And Mikel Arteta is not capable of doing it. Now, you look at Arsenal's Christmas run, they get Southampton at home next. It's a game they should win. Then they get West Ham. That's going to be very, very difficult. Then it's a trip to Leeds. Then Sunderland in the League Cup. Again, uh, the game they can't really not win. Norwich away, and then Wolves at home to finish the year. So again, lucky for Arteta, they've got a favourable run. Barring the West Ham game, it's a favourable run. They should beat Southampton. They should beat this Leeds team. They should beat Norwich. They should beat Wolves at home. Then they start the new year with City and Tottenham. Nottingham Forest away in the FA Cup third round in between those two games. But City and Tottenham will tell us a lot. And then the season will start to get tough for them come mid to end of February. That's where they'll start to see a lot of teams catching on to them. I don't think Arteta sees out the season, and if he does... Arsenal are going to finish eighth or ninth. Uh, As for Everton, it's a great win for them. Great win. Pulls them back up to 12th, stops the rot, gets them, you know, three badly needed points because they had been atrocious over the previous eight games. Two points from eight games is never acceptable. Six defeats from seven games, never acceptable regardless of who you're playing. And it's not like they played a who's who. I mean, they did play West Ham City and Liverpool, but they also played Watford. They played Wolves. They played Brentford. There was games there they should have won. You know, Tottenham at home, was a game they could have won. But it's big for Benitez to get these three points, and he's going to get Calvert-Lewin back soon. And that should make a massive, massive difference. To how Everton play. Uh, They're hoping to have him back on Boxing Day. They're hoping to have Rondon back. I don't know what the issue is with Yerry Mina. I think it's a, a calf injury that he went off with last night. So we'll wait and see. Tom Davies has a knee injury. There's been no update on that. Interesting one from last night, though, was Luca Dina. Who the club suspended for a game. For an internal disciplinary matter. But didn't say what it was, there were rumours that he'd been overheard, disparaging Rafa Benitez. Rafa can't afford to not have Luca in the team. Ben Godfrey's a very good young player. He's not a left-back. He's never going to be a left-back, and they don't have another left-back at the club. So they need to get Luca back in the team. Uh, Godfrey was a little bit lucky to stay on the pitch last night, I meant to say earlier. Um, that was quite reckless. And he did catch Tomiyasu clearly in the face. And I think he was very, very lucky to stay on the pitch. I think the fact that he turned his head is what fooled the referee. But I think he knew where his foot was going. I think that was quite similar to what we've seen uh, Tyron Mings do in the past. Uh, Everton 12th in the league. They will need to, to spin some results together, though. Because it's a tough run coming up. Palace away, Chelsea away, Leicester at home. Then Burnley away, Newcastle at home. That gets them to the end of the year, and they start the new year with Brighton away, Brighton at home, and Norwich away. They drew Hull in the FA Cup third round. Should point out the FA Cup third round was um, third round draw was made yesterday, so we now know who will face who. So we have Boreham Wood versus Wimbledon, Yeovil Town versus Bournemouth. Stoke City versus Leighton Orient. Swansea City versus Southampton. Chelsea versus Chesterfield. Liverpool versus Shrewsbury Town. Cardiff City versus Preston North End. Coventry City versus Derby County. Burnley versus Huddersfield Town. West Bromwich Albion versus Brighton and Hove Albion. I'll battle the Albions. Can't beat it. Kidminister Harriers versus Reading. Leicester City versus Watford, first All-Premier League tie. Mansfield Town versus Middlesbrough. Hartlepool Town, Hartlepool United rather, versus Blackpool. Hull City versus Everton. Bristol City versus Fulham. Tottenham Hotspur versus Morecambe. Millwall versus Crystal Palace, a nice South south London derby there. Port Vale versus Brentford. uh, Swindon Town versus Manchester City. I assume that's Swindon Town Reserves. Uh, versus Manchester City, just to give City their usual draw there. Uh, Wigan Athletic versus Blackburn Rovers. Luton Town versus Harrogate Town. Birmingham City versus Plymouth Argyle. Manchester United versus, versus Aston Villa is, I think, the tie of the round. Uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers versus Sheffield United. Newcastle United versus Cambridge United. Barnsley versus Ipswich or Barrow. Peterborough versus Bristol Rovers. West Ham United versus Leeds United. They're all Premier League clash there. QPR having a good season versus Rotherham. Charton Athletic versus Norwich City. And Nottingham Forest versus Arsenal. So there are some good draws there. I do think the, uh, the tie of the round is Manchester United versus Aston Villa. Um, nothing against Reading. But I will be... Rooting for Kidderminster Harriers as the uh, the lowest ranked team still left in the competition, they're in the sixth tier of English football, so they're the team that I will be keeping an eye for. Um, a couple of other non-league teams, obviously Borham, Yeovil, Chesterfield. Who else do we have? That's it. That's it. So not a whole lot of um, non-league teams left, but yeah, we'll keep an eye on those. Always nice to see non-league teams getting into the third round proper. You'd hope that one of them will advance on to uh, to the fourth round. It is Champions League night tonight. We're going to take a quick break first, and when we come back, we'll run through those. We'll do the gossip. We'll be out of here nice and quick today. Uh, Guy has to go get his booster So I don't want to hold him up See you in a minute Right, welcome back So, uh, Champions League tonight We have 8 games Groups A, B, C and D All in action In Group A Manchester City will face RB Leipzig In Leipzig at 5.45 at the same time PSG take on Club Brugge. City are through guaranteed to top the group. PSG are through. Leipzig and Bruges in the battle for the Europa League. So I suppose a lot depends on what team City and PSG put out. Will they put out full strength teams? Will they just send out 11 lads to just get through the game? Uh, Leipzig have a massive Uh, goal difference advantage. They are on a goal difference of 0, whereas Bruges are minus 11. But it is head-to-head in this competition. And in terms of head-to-head, Leipzig have the advantage. They do have the advantage. They beat Bruges 5-0. Bruges beat them 2-1. So Leipzig would go through on the head-to-head if both teams lose, draw, or win. As an aside, I do think Leipzig have made a mistake this week In sacking Jesse Marsh I think that's an overly rash decision I know they weren't having a good season I'm aware of that But Replacing Nagelsmann Means Having to remove all the little weird Tactical idiosyncrasies That Nagelsmann instills in the team And Unfortunately for Jesse Marsh It was a big big job So I think they've taken the decision too quickly. I Again, I get that they're not having a good season, but I would have thought a club like them would have been planning more for the long term. And it's not like they're the only big club having a bad season this year. Uh, in Group B, Liverpool play AC Milan at the San Siro, while Porto host Atletico Madrid at the Dragao. Liverpool are through. They will win the group no matter what. Any of Porto, Milan, and Atleti can get through. So, Porto know if they win, they're in. Simple as that for them. Winning, you're in. For Milan, a win puts them through if Porto failed to win. So, if Porto draw with Atleti or Atleti win, Milan will go through by beating Liverpool. Atleti need Liverpool to either draw or beat Milan and them to beat Porto for them to go through. So it is all very complicated and complex, but it's interesting at the very least. In group C, we have Ajax versus Sporting and we have Dortmund versus Besiktas. Ajax are through, they will win the group no matter what. Sporting are in second. They will go through to the next round, and Dortmund will be in the Europa League. Dortmund have qualified for the Europa League. So, um, Besiktas are out. That game is against Dortmund is, is therefore meaningless, and the sporting Ajax game is also fairly meaningless. It's just that Ajax might want to get six wins from six and complete the perfect group stage. But that game should be fun, at least. It should be a decent watch. you should the in Group D, then, again, this is a group that's already decided. Real Madrid and Inter Milan will qualify to the next stage. They do face each other tonight, and the group winner is still to be decided at the minute. It is Madrid, two points clear of of Inter. Uh, Sheriff Tiraspol, story of the season in the Champions League. They will be heading on to the Europa League. Uh, they will face Shakhtar tonight. In Donetsk, well not in Donetsk, it'll be in Kiev I assume because um, I assume they're still not playing at the Donbass, I haven't checked but I assume they're still playing in Kiev or wherever it is they were Um, So yeah, look, eight good games tonight Again to run through them, Leipzig versus City should be good PSG versus Bruges, it might not be great Uh, Ajax versus Sporting will be good Porto versus Atleti has a lot riding on it, so that's a big game Rail versus Inter could be interesting. Milan versus Liverpool, again, it's a huge game for Milan. Shakhtar versus Sheriff. Shakhtar will be looking to at least get some respect back, get some sort of dignity back, having had an appalling group stage. Dortmund versus Besiktas, again, Besiktas are only really playing for pride at this point, uh, but it will be interesting to see. See if Dortmund can go out with a bang and and head into the Europa League with some confidence. But those are the four groups in action tonight. Then tomorrow night we get EFG and H. So we'll have a chat about them tomorrow. Um, There's not a whole bunch to talk about today, folks. It must be said. uh, Spurs have had a coronavirus outbreak. Tottenham's preparations for their pre-Christmas fixtures have been disrupted by a coronavirus outbreak at the club. It is understood a number of players and club staff have returned positive COVID-19 tests. More PCR testing is due to take place over the next 24 hours. Spurs are due to face Wren in a crucial Europa Conference League game in London on Thursday before they play Brighton on Sunday. Under UEFA regulations, if they have 13 available players, including a goalkeeper from the 25-man A-list, they must fulfil the Wren fixture, which they need to win to stand a chance of getting through. To the uh, the knockout phase. Now they might be better off just getting knocked out, meaning more training ground time for Conte. Um, if the game is the game could be postponed if they do not have sig- a significant, sorry, sufficient numbers of players available. But all group matches must be completed before the 31st of December, and there isn't really a gap in the calendar for Spurs to play that game. They will be better off to play it and lose it than not play it. To be honest. It is yet to be established whether the club will contact the Premier League about Sunday's game at the Amex, but a decision to postpone league matches can only be made by the competition board. So that has come at an, a less than ideal time for Tottenham, for Conte, who finally seemed to be getting them rolling. Um, they were really good in their last two performances, and uh, that, is, that is quite the setback. Uh, Jude Bellingham has been fined by the German FA. After comments made on Saturday. So after Dortmund lost 3-2 to Bayern. In what was an appalling refereeing display. Uh Bellingham rightly came out and criticised the referee. Felix Zweier was given a six-match ban for match fixing back in 2005. And all Bellingham said was. You give a referee that has match fixed before. The biggest game in Germany. What do you expect? Ah, uh, Look. He he has to be fined, fair enough But he speaks no lies it, The guy was done for match fixing How he's got a referee to license At the highest level in Germany I genuinely have no idea I genuinely have no idea uh, More strife around AFCON There is Let's just say the political climate in Cameroon right now Is not ideal And if there were common sense prevailing, the competition would be called off. Uh, there's a lot of teams set to lose a lot of players. So, Watford, Ishmael Assar, Peter Atibo, Emmanuel Dennis, William Trust, Akong, Adam Messina, and Imran Luza would all go. That's six players. Now, uh, Ishmael Assar is out with an injury, and Peter Thibault is out with an injury, so they're not expected back in time for the AFCON. So they're going to be without those two anyway, but then they're going to lose four more, including Emmanuel Dennis, who's their best player, with Sargon from the team. That's a big blow. Arsenal would lose Thomas Partey, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, Nicolas Pepe, and Mohamed Nenny. I mean, Partey and Aubameyang are first choice. Pepe... I- I don't know what to make of his time at Arsenal, but I, I would like to see him there under a real manager. Um, and Elneny, he was on his way out. He's worked his way back into the squad and into the first-team picture, so credit to him. But, you know, with Partey out, he will be a loss. Uh, for Crystal Palace, they'd lose Czech Koyate, Jeffrey Schlup, Jordan Ayu and Wilf Zaha. Zaha had the big loss there. But Koyate has been important for them this season. Leicester would lose Acho, Ndidi, Amarty and Napoli's Mendy. Though Mendy is not currently in their Premier League squad, so it wouldn't really matter anyway. But he can't be registered in January. or he, Sorry, he can be re-registered in January to play in the second half of the season. Um, Acho and Ndidi are the big losses there. For Aston Villa, it would be marvellous. Nakamba, Trezeguet and Bertrand Traore. Trezeguet's only coming back from the ACL injury. It would be really bad form if Egypt pick him, but they probably will. Brentford would lose Onyeka, Fosu, and Xianvier. Onyeka is the the big big loss. the other two are, are mostly squad players, but he is largely a first team player. Um, Naby Keita, Mo Salah, and Sadio Mane would be the three for Liverpool. I think it's fair to say nobody would lose more important players because. Two of them are absolute starters and one is one of the three best midfielders of the club. Chelsea would lose Eduard Mendy and Hakim Zayic. They've got lots of attacking players to step in and they've got the world's most expensive goalkeeper to bring into the team. So they should be okay. For Everton, it would be Alex Iwobi and Jean-Philippe Gabaman. I don't think they'd notice if Gabaman was gone, considering he's played about five games. Uh, Eric Bailly and Ahmed Diallo. Diallo doesn't play for them. He is just a squad player, but, you know, they, I think, have plans for him for the second half of the season. Uh, Eric Baye is a strange player. If he could stay fit, if he could stay fit, he'd be really good. Uh, Musa Gen- uh, and Mohamed Salisu would be the two from Southampton. Willie Bolly and Romain Sice from Wolves. Yves Basuma from Brighton. Maxwell Cornette from Burnley. Riyad Mahrez from Manchester City, Saeed Benrahma from West Ham. Nobody from Leeds, Newcastle, Norwich or Tottenham. So lots of players, potentially. About 40 set to miss games in January into February because of the AFCON. But it is what it is. Uh, They tried to move it to a summer competition and then COVID happened. And it's just been a rigmarole ever since. We'll finish up with the gossip and get out of here for the day. Uh Cesar Aspilaqueta is in advanced talks with Barcelona over a summer move. It's from El Nacional, so we'll put that strictly uh, sorry, squarely into a bin. Manchester United have joined Newcastle in the race to sign Usman Dembele. Uh allegedly, Manchester United have been in the race to sign Dembele for about six years now. Newcastle boss Eddie Howe is lining up Stokes, 21-year-old English striker. Tyrese Campbell as the first signing of the Saudi era at St. James's Park. It's an interesting one. It doesn't really help them with what their issues are, which have not being able to defend. Um, he's not exactly a prolific goal scorer yet, but he does show a lot of potential. He has um, two and nine games this year, seven and 19 last year, nine and 37 the year before. Spent a year on loan at Shrewsbury, scored five and fifteen, career tally at twenty-seven and ninety-nine, which obviously, like I say, it's not massive, but he is only twenty-one, so he does show potential former Manchester City Academy player who left their Academy, joined Stokes, and has done very, very well. Stoke paid one point seven five million after he turned down the chance to turn professional with City in 2016. So he made the decision to leave. And Stoke paid the money to get him. So obviously he has been highly rated for a while. But still, Newcastle need to sort the defence out. You, you can't be signing attackers when you can't defend. Newcastle are also preparing to double the salaries of Burnley duo Ben Mee and James Tarkovsky to tempt them to quit the Clarets. Obviously Tarkovsky's out of contract in the summer. So Newcastle could get him potentially at a good price. Well, I'd imagine anybody that Newcastle try and buy, they're going to get rinsed over. But Ben Mee's also out of contract. And that one's kind of been overlooked. Tarkovsky's the one that all the talk has been about. But with both of them out of contract, that's a risky situation for Burnley. I think Burnley might be willing to let Tarkovsky go in January, get a good fee from him. And then if Mee decides to leave, so be it. But sell Tarkovsky, get a decent fee. And get your replacement, and I've said before they've been linked with Joe Worrell and uh, Scott, he's a Scott McKenna went from Aberdeen to Nottingham Forest um, to play next to, funnily enough he was signed by Forest because they thought Joe Worrell was going to Burnley um, Worrell ended up staying and yeah, McKenna has partnered him how's McKenna done? yeah, 20 Four games last season, 21 this season. Sorry, 21 last. Yeah, 21 this season. Yeah, yeah, I'm right. Uh, Joe Warrell, then. Joe Warrell is the interesting one. I'd, I'd like to see Burnley make that move. I think he fits the Burnley ethos. I think he's a really, really good young centre-back. Still only 24. Uh, so that's what Burnley could look at doing. Sell Tarkovsky, bring in Joe Worrell. And then in the summer, if me decides to leave, go again. And, uh, and get them. whenever You can't lose both of them in the one window. New Manchester United boss Ralph Ranick is eyeing up a move for Frankie de Jong. This is nonsense. Ralph Ranick is not going to be allowed to spend 60, 70, 80 million in January ahead of a new manager coming in who may not want the players that he buys. Chelsea's move for Fenerbahce's 23 year old defender Atala Z- Zlaye. Is a done deal, according to his hungry boss Marco Rossi. It would be an unusual signing by Chelsea. It would be an unusual signing. Talented, but unusual. Um, Norwich winger and Arsenal ta- transfer target Mohamed El has insisted he and his family are happy with life at Southampton. Leicester scouts were in attendance at the weekend. To watch Adrian Rabio and Federici, Federico Bernadeschi. Oh, this, I forgot to go back to Damari Gray. I don't understand how it didn't work for him at Leicester. Because if you consider Rogers 4-1-4-1, 4-1, and Didi is the six, doesn't Damari Gray, Yuri Thielemans, James Madison, and Harvey Barnes behind the striker seem like it should work really, really well? Was the issue that Barnes was playing on the left and Gray wanted to play on the left. Or that Rogers didn't trust Gray. Because Gray is the player, type of player Rogers normally does really well with, normally gets quite a lot out of them. It's a strange one. But anyway, Rabio would make sense if Telemans is leaving. Bernadeschi would make sense in that 4-1-4-1 to play off the right-hand side as a left-footer who will cut in. Uh, Manchester United are exploring the possibility of hiring former USA international midfielder and two-time MLS head coach Chris Armos as part of Ralph Ragnick's staff. Now, Chris Armos has done a really bad job as a manager over both spells. He was sacked as manager of the New York Red Bulls, though he did okay, I suppose. But he did an appalling job with Toronto FC. Absolutely appalling. Won two of 15 um, and played some of the worst football going. So, uh, yeah, yeah, he, he makes sense because he's worked with Ranić before. But how good he is is, is at anyone's guess. Uh, his biggest success came managing the Adelphi Panthers, who are the women's football team at Adelphi University. So, I don't know. I don't know how good he would be. There's no real word on what he did for the three years between when he left Adelphi and joined the Red Bull organisation. I assume he was a coach in the Red Bull organisation. As uh, Latan has expressed that his ambition to remain with Serie a, Serie a club AC Milan for the rest of his playing career, um Zlatan is always an interesting character he had some choice words to say about Hakan Çalhanoğlu um which you know you, you would only hear them from him but it makes sense for Milan to keep him he's still playing and performing well despite being 40 so why not uh Portuguese defender Diogo Dalot de has delivered a defiant message and insisted he is ready to give everything at Manchester United in a blow to potential suitors not sure there's many potential suitors out there but It's good that he wants to have a real crack at this thing at United, considering just how poor their right-back situation has been for the last couple of years. Um, Lionel Messi has begun to question whether Maurizio Pochettino was up to the task of being PSG manager after the 34-year-old registered concerns over his tactics and ability to control the dressing room. This was always likely to happen. As was always likely to happen. As soon as things go bad, Fingers will get pointed and people will say, oh, Messi wants them out. Um, Arsenal are looking to sanction a jo- a January loan move for Foller and Balogun, despite the prospect of losing Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang for up to a month to the AFCON. Yeah, They'll just sanction the move at the end of January, surely then. Uh, Bournemouth are one of a number of clubs linked with a move for Balogun. I think Norwich would be perfect for him, but Norwich already have all their loan spots filled. I think Arsenal are more likely to sell Eddie and Ketia if they can in January, um, unless he makes a late U-turn and decides he wants to stick around. I think they'll sell in Ketia and keep Balogun until the end of the season, then maybe loan him out next season when they figure out what they're going to do up front. Uh, that is me for today, folks. That's the show. Thank you, as always, for listening. Take care of yourselves, and I will speak to you all tomorrow. Bye-bye. cast Network.